Okay, good morning, everyone. Okay. All right, the, um, the, superstar, uh, um, the superstar singer and songwriter Adele has one of the most recognizable singing voices in the world. There she is. Okay. If you don't recognize her, maybe if I was to play one or two of her songs, which I'm not going to do, but if I was, I'm pretty sure that many of us, probably most of us in the room, I'd get to a song eventually that you recognized um, because she has such a recognizable voice and her songs are played everywhere. But apparently, a couple of years ago, um, she took her driving lessons and she took her test and she went through the entire time of taking her lessons, going through her test, without her driving instructor knowing who she is. There they are together. She looks a little bit different there. She's not all glammed up. But he didn't know who she was. And she apparently took the opportunity often, like she's quite a jolly character if you haven't seen her on TV, and she took the opportunity um, to sing her songs at the wheel and would be like, come on, you must know this one. And he's like, mm, no. So he just didn't know who she was, even when she would be singing her famous songs. And then he found out at the end that she was a um, famous superstar. He was oblivious. Okay, <laughs> random story, but not so random because sometimes we might fail to recognize Jesus even when he is right there in front of us working in our lives. Or perhaps we do see something of Jesus, but we haven't necessarily grasped the enormity of who he is and the life that he gives us. And, and that is something for all of us to ponder, whether we consider ourselves to be a Christian here this morning or not, whether we're just exploring what this is all about. So here on Sunday mornings, we've been looking together at the book of John in the Bible. And the reason John wrote his book was so that his readers, including all of us here today, would recognize Jesus and not miss the point of who he is. John himself recorded in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, why he had written his account of the life of Jesus and the signs he performed. He said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So that means when we read through John, we should always be asking, what does this story tell us about who Jesus is? And what does it tell us about the life that he gives to us? Okay, the life that he brings for us. So we're going to have a look at um, a passage today which contains a miracle. And we're going to do that. We're going to see how it points us to see who Jesus is and what it tells us about the life that he brings. Um, not just the life that he brought then, but the life that he brings for us now. So if you want to be turning to John chapter 5, and we have um, Charlotte who's going to come and read this to us. She's one of our, um, she's been coming here for quite a few months, one of our students here. So if you turn to John chapter 5, um, it's on page 1068. And it'll be starting at verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth Bethesda, 
and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Excellent. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Okay. So then, what does this miracle, this account of what just happened, tell us about who Jesus is and the life that he brings us? Well, we're going to consider firstly that it tells us There we go. Um, That Jesus is the compassionate healer. So Jesus is on his way to a festival in Jerusalem. And while he's there, he takes time, he takes time to go to a pool, the pool near the sheep gate. (laughs) And this wasn't just any old pool because here was a place where people with all kinds of sicknesses um, gathered together, crowds of people who were ill would gather at this pool because they believed that they could be healed in the pool if they were lucky. Um, if you were to look at the bottom of the page, you would see a footnote which gives us a little strange um, kind of explanation of maybe what was going on there. Um, it's a footnote that isn't included in the actual um, write-up because it wasn't part of the original and sort of most reliable manuscripts. But it does give us a little hint into perhaps what was most likely the common belief that was going on. Perhaps it was superstition. Perhaps it was that there was something in the water, some natural kind of healing property in the water. But whatever was going on at that pool that made all the people gather there... um, It was something that made them think that they would be healed. And they would wait for the waters to move, to be like stirred up. Um, And when that happened, there would have most likely been a big scramble by perhaps the most mobile people of them. Because the belief was that the first person down into the water would be healed. So whatever it was that actually went on at that pool isn't going to be our focus for now. um, Because it would kind of be missing the point of what we want to get into. So what we're interested in is that Jesus intentionally went to the pool and he placed himself among the sick and the suffering. 
And he picked out from among that massive crowd one man, one man who had had some sort of illness for 38 years. Um, And this was an illness that meant that he was unable to get himself into the pool when that opportunity arose. And Jesus knew what this man had suffered for so long. And because he knew that, he had compassion on him. Now, in this whole account, the man doesn't seem to show any kind of faith or belief. He didn't seek Jesus out. Jesus came to him. And when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? The man didn't sort of seem to respond with this recognition that here was Jesus, a man who could make him well, like we see in a lot of the other healing um, miracles in the Bible. He didn't do that. He just gave some explanation for why he couldn't get in the pool. Um, So it seems that Jesus didn't heal him in response to any kind of faith that was going on in the man. Instead, it seems that Jesus' selection of him was purely as a result of his compassion, of Jesus' compassion towards the man, which moves him to heal him. So he does so. And there we have a beautiful, compassionate miracle that's taken place. The man, this man who'd endured sickness and suffering for so many years, has now been healed. But not by the waters in the pool, but by the powerful, authoritative voice the voice of Jesus alone, instantly complete strength and healing and health is restored as diseased muscles and bones obey at the voice of Jesus. And then the man is able to pick up his mat and and throw it onto his shoulder and carry it, strength that he didn't have before. So it was absolutely an amazing, wonderful thing that had just taken place. Um, And we can praise Jesus by looking at this for his compassion and his power. And we can see that he's compassionate and powerful. So we know that we can cry out to him and like call upon his compassion and power in whatever situation we find ourselves in. However, if we stop at this point and just say, oh, isn't that great? Look, that's what Jesus does. This is what this story shows us. Jesus is compassionate and powerful then we're not getting into the actual main point of what's going on in this story. If we were to just concentrate on the miracle, we might conclude that Jesus is just someone who is a miracle worker or someone who gives us what we desperately want or who makes a good situation, a bad situation, sorry, come good. Um, And he absolutely does and can and wants to do those things, but it doesn't always happen, does it? Remember that Jesus picked out one man from this crowd. It says that after that, he he slipped away. Um, And many of us here have found that we've cried out to God for something, say healing or um, some other thing that we're facing. And we found that actually we're still waiting for that answer. What are we to make of that? Remember that we are supposed to be asking here, who is Jesus And what is the life that he brings? And so if we understand him simply to be someone who can meet our needs for healing and hopes and tricky situations, then we might be disappointed if that's all we think he is. Um, In the autumn, we considered here um, the the matter of um, trusting God in the silence. And 
And Dan and I shared our struggle with infertility to you all. And we shared that after 10 years, even though we have cried out to God and we know that he's compassionate and can heal, we are still waiting. So how can we keep holding on to God after all that time when he hasn't healed us? Because we do. We do hold on to him. Well, it's because we know that the life that he gives is is more than just um, healing or fixing us and giving us the things that we desire in this life. And, but on the flip side, he absolutely can and he does heal in miraculous ways or put a right situation that seems wrong to us. We believe in miracles here and we know that God can do it um, and we praise him for that. And here we have a story where the man is healed and that's wonderful He's received a wonderful gift at the hands of Jesus, of a better quality of life and relief from suffering. But that isn't the life. That isn't the life that Jesus gives. Um, It's part of it, but it's not the full picture. Because we need to note that at this point, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Have a look at verse 13. So we'll look at this later, but the Jewish leaders had been asking him who had healed him. And in verse 13, it says, The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So Jesus hadn't finished with him. The man didn't know who he was, and we see that Jesus hadn't finished with him. And today's passage teaches us that we would be wrong to assume that a great provision or a miracle alone from God gives us the life that Jesus brings. So what is the life that Jesus brings and what's the point of miracles and signs? Skip down to verse 14 to understand this. We'll cover the other bits in a moment. But for now, we're going to have a look and see that Jesus is the life-giving saviour. So Jesus had slipped away. And in verse 14, he seeks the man out again and finds him in the temple. And this is what Jesus says to him. See... You are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. (laughs) Why would Jesus say that to him? He's just made him well. Why would he want to put such a dampener on such a happy situation? Well, it seems that this man was in danger of receiving the gift of healing of his body and completely missing um, what its deeper purpose was. Remember John 20, the signs that Jesus did, which includes this miracle, are so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, by believing we might have life in his name. So the man's far greater need than physical healing was his need of the life that Jesus gives. When Jesus says that something worse might happen to the man if he doesn't stop sinning, he's referring to the exact opposite of the life that Jesus gives. He's talking about facing the final judgment without having turned from a life of sin to a life with Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because Jesus has made it clear that one day he's going to return and there will be a day of judgment before Jesus makes everything new and glorious. And there will be nothing worse than standing before Jesus on that last day And hearing his words, I never knew you, away from me. They're awful words. 
which we read about in Matthew chapter 7. And that's what Jesus means when he says to the man, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. And that's why the physical healing of the man is only part of the picture of the life Jesus gives. It's not the main point. As wonderful um, and great um, this act of compassion and healing was, the far greater act of compassion in that miracle was that through it, Jesus was revealing himself to the man. Because any good gift that we receive at the hands of Jesus is simply a shadow of Jesus, a shadow that should cause us to lift our eyes up and see the giver, see the one who's given it to us, Jesus himself. And that also means that that's such assurance for those of us who maybe are still waiting, perhaps, for a miracle. We don't have to doubt the compassion of Jesus. If we haven't received healing at the hand of God, or if we find ourselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, because there is hope. Jesus uses many different ways to point us to himself, including the signs that we're reading about here in the Gospel of John. Remember that they've been written for us so that we might believe and have life in his name and that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen saviour. Jesus wants to give us himself a soul-satisfyingly good relationship which can start right now but will reach its fullness when we meet him face to face and he takes us to live with him in the glorious new creation for all eternity. Please don't think that I'm saying here that God doesn't care about our suffering and doesn't want to make us well. Of course he does, because we see he did it and he does answer our prayers. Um, And he is the one who knows all about how dreadful suffering is. And he wants us to be free from it. But full relief from suffering will come if and when we enter that new creation. It's all part and parcel of the life that he gives, freedom from suffering. But that life only comes from finding our satisfaction ultimately in a relationship um, with him. And that relationship is a gift that he will always give us if we choose to receive it. Okay, but the relationship has to begin. There's lots in the Bible that tells us how this relationship can begin. But here in this passage, Jesus simply says, stop sinning. Just two simple words, which perhaps don't seem so simple in practice to us, do they? Do you hear this and despair thinking, but I do still sin. Do I have no hope then? I'm sure many of us, I know I have, I'm sure many of us have wrestled with that kind of question before. I find it very helpful to think carefully about what sin actually is. Um, An American author, John Piper, defines sin this way. Sin is any feeling or thought or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. The bottom of sin, the root of all sins, is such a heart, a heart that prefers, a heart that prefers anything above God, a heart that doesn't treasure God over everything else and everyone else. So any feeling or thought or action that comes from a heart that doesn't treasure God over all things. 
I think that's a really helpful definition of sin because it gets right to the root of what sin is. We can try and not do individual sins. We can try with all our might. Say we might always be trying not to lie, not to gossip. The list is endless of the things we might be trying not to do. But each of those individual sins, if you like, are just symptoms of what sin more broadly is. And that is not treasuring Christ above everything else. We won't get anywhere if we keep simply trying to modify behavior without getting to that root of the problem. I've heard it helpfully illustrated this way. So imagine you've got an apple tree that is producing rotten apples. There you go. Lovely rotten apples. So to solve the problem, you pick all those rotten apples off the tree and you go and buy um, a lovely box of juicy red apples and you get some string and you just hang each of those to the tree instead. Is the problem solved? No, it's ridiculous. Um, you, You need to see what's causing the rotten apples. If you sort that out... Um, then hopefully the good apples will start to grow again. And it's the same with sin. If we simply keep trying to change our behavior without getting to the cause of the problem, it's not going to work. What needs to happen is a change of heart, which happens by looking to Jesus, following him as Lord and treasuring him. Then just as good apples start to, to grow again on the tree, so we will begin to change the outward sins will naturally start to lose their appeal and we will begin to have a much more natural desire to become like Jesus himself. And this may be a slow, steady process, just as maybe a tree that's recovering from disease, it might be a slow process for new juicy apples to grow. Um, It could take years, but there is progress. But this doesn't mean also that we can just sit back and just wait for that to happen. Elsewhere in the Bible, it does say we need to take decisive action to stamp out sin and disobedience in our lives. But that action is to come from a heart that treasures Jesus and desires to be like him because we see how beautiful his perfection is. That's the motivation. So let's say that my problem is gossip. Okay. I'm always finding my, well, imagine I'm always finding myself gossiping about other people, but I know that the Bible says that we shouldn't gossip. So I say to myself, okay, I'm going to try really hard not to do that anymore because I know that the Bible says I shouldn't and I don't, I don't want to be a bad person. So there's a couple of times where I do pretty well and I manage not to join in, but it was really hard. Maybe I almost had to force my lips closed. Um, But at least I didn't give in. So on those occasions, I can go home and I can tick the box of having done well. But then one time, the things other people are saying about someone else really gets me going. And I know that I've got a lot to say about this situation too. So I give in and a huge gossip session ensues. and, um, And actually... It felt really good because I made myself feel much better by tearing somebody else down. And my friends all backed me up and actually we had quite a good time. Um, It's only later that I might go home and feel like, oh no, I failed again. And then I feel miserable. 
But actually, it's that kind of misery that isn't like, oh, no, I gossip. But it's kind of, oh, I'm always failing. Why is this so hard to stop doing these sins? Um, Because actually, I find gossip quite satisfying. And I hate having to restrict something in my life that actually I quite enjoy. I don't know if you can ever relate to that. But the problem here is that I've just been trying to fix the action of gossiping but not my love of gossip. And it's the love of gossip or whatever else it is that's going on in our lives that actually needs dealing with. And that will only happen when I look to Jesus and get to know him and ask him that his desires will be my desires. Then as the Holy Spirit works in me to increase my love for Jesus, then I begin to see how ugly gossip is and how offensive it is to Jesus. And so, because my desires are becoming his desires, I too start to see how offensive it is. So I join in less and less on that gradual process. And eventually, I grow to hate gossip because I treasure Jesus. So if you're sick of trying so hard to stop sinning and it's making you miserable, maybe it's because you're simply trying to modify your behavior without first looking to Jesus. So look to him. Get to know him. Start treasuring him. See his work in your life. And then see if things don't become different. That's the starting point. Don't start with trying to stop things. Start with looking to treasure Jesus. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying to the man in our story. Kind of something like, look, I've healed you so that you will see who I am. Let this wonderful miracle point you to me. That you'll treasure me above everything else. And as a result, stop sinning. So that one day you will stand before me and I will welcome you into my glorious, satisfying, beautiful presence forevermore. So let's not be people who miss the point and so miss out on Jesus. And just finally, we need to take a look at Jesus' interaction with the Jewish leaders, because it would be a very valid thing for any one of us to be asking at this point. So Jesus wants us to treasure him. He offers, us a, he offers us a life with him. But why is that so good? Who is he? Whether we're following him or not, we need to consider what these verses tell us about who Jesus is. Let's look at him being the self-giving God. So our man is healed and it's wonderful. He's strong again, able to walk, able to carry that heavy mat that he's been lying on, on his shoulder. And it's such a cause for celebration. But if anyone puts a dampener on the situation, it's actually the Jewish leaders. Because instead of seeing the man and joining in the celebration and saying, wow, look, you're walking. What's happened to you? This is amazing. They find a reason to grumble, as they so often do. Oi, it's the Sabbath, they're saying. What do you think you're doing carrying your mat? <laughs> what a dampener. <laughs> Well, the Sabbath was something that many, many years before this, God had given um, to the Jewish people as a gift, a weekly Sabbath day where all work was to stop so that they could rest and worship him. And um, that's because a regular rhythm of rest is a good thing. 
um, for, that God has given for our refreshment and for worship of him. But unfortunately, what had happened was that um, down for the ages, Jewish rabbis had turned this wonderful gift of the Sabbath into a burden, developing 39 categories of work, which included taking and carrying something from one place to another. So the man, by carrying his mat on the Sabbath was apparently breaking their law, which they claimed to be God's law, but wasn't God's law at all. So they refused to see the joy of the situation, and they were just incredibly angry at this. Angry that this man who'd just been healed was doing something that can contravene their silly, restrictive rules. And then the man's just like, well, I'm only doing what the man who healed me told me to do. Um, so their anger turns, and they're, they're now like, well, who is this? Who is going around telling people that they can carry their mat? Who do they think they are? Um, and then, unfortunately, when this man finds out who, that it, when this man finds out later, as we saw, that it was Jesus who'd healed him, he goes and tells his angry leaders. So now, of course, they're angry at Jesus. Let's read from verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, did you see that Jesus doesn't even bother to point out how ridiculous their rules and their attitudes are? He simply says, I work on the Sabbath because my father is working on the Sabbath. And here is the whole crux of the matter, because it enables us to answer that question, who is Jesus? What is it that the Jewish leaders have spotted in his words that make them so angry that they want to kill him? Jesus is saying, I have the right to do whatever my father does. And who's his father? Well, it's God. So the Jewish leaders correctly perceive that Jesus is saying that he has got the right to do whatever God does. Which is a shocking thing to claim if Jesus isn't God. But the point is, these Jewish leaders have failed to see that Jesus is God standing right there in front of them. He's one with the Father, which, if you're here next week, we'll continue to see more of what that means. But this is why, if you're not yet following Jesus, you can trust that he is the one who ultimately gives us life to the full. He is God who created us. God who's got the power to, and authority to command the winds and the waves to obey him. God whose voice um, causes sick bones, muscles, illnesses, to just heal at the sound of his voice. He is God who's got the authority to forgive sins because he paid the price for our sins through his death on the cross. And he's God who gives us hope that death isn't the end because he rose to life conquering death so that we could rise also to new life with him one day. He's the God who's compassionate, who gives peace, who calms our fears and assures us of his sovereign control for us. The one who's working all things for the good of those who love him. You see, Jesus is that prize. 
Jesus is our life because he is the only one who can satisfy our soul's deepest longings because he is God. And for those of us who do believe and trust in Jesus, do we remember that he's not just the giver of good things, but that ultimately he is the gift himself. This is a mindset that we can fall into so easily. And when we forget to allow his gifts to, and his compassion and his power to point us to him, the giver, then we're not really treating him as God. Think about it this way. Imagine that you had a falling out with someone that you really love. Let's say that a teenager has really offended their parent and there's a very frosty atmosphere now. Well, the young person might be worried because what now if they don't get their dinner? (laughs) Or what if they don't get that lift to the party they were banking on from their parent for the weekend? Or maybe it's just that um, they just hate the feeling of a guilty conscience. So therefore, they say sorry and ask for forgiveness. Well, it's it's a sad thing indeed if our primary motivation um, to seek a restored relationship is so that we can get things from them. Um, because most relationships, isn't it true, that we enjoy them because we enjoy the person. We don't, we don't do that. We might get those other things, but really we, we reconcile with someone because we get them. We want them. That's the point of the relationship. And that's the point of our relationship with Jesus. God is giving himself to us. That is amazingly astonishing. God wants to give himself to us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, wonderfully sums this up for us by saying, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Everything that Jesus does is to bring us to him, who is the giver of life. So then let's remember the story of this healing of the man at the sheep gate. And let's rejoice at the compassion and the power of Jesus and that this man found healing. Because Jesus does bring healing. He does bring freedom from sorrow and men broken relationships and give us good things. But don't stop at those things. Let's lift our eyes and see that the whole point is Jesus himself, our saviour, who is God and in whose name we can have life, eternal, glorious, soul-satisfying life. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much that you revealed yourself to us in Jesus. We thank you that you are the God who reaches down and does meet our needs, but you reach down so that you can show us who you are, and life in you. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is the one who satisfies our souls. And please would you help each one of us here today to lift our eyes and to see Jesus, the giver of life to us. Amen.